Hello and welcome to Disruptive, the UK's first and only dedicated technology channel, covering everything from robot fights to megabytes. I'm David Organ, and today I am joined by my esteemed guest co-host, Matt Lovell. Less of the esteemed, but I'm very grateful for being here. <laughs> Thanks for the opportunity, David. Hi, Matt. Well, I'm grateful to have a co-host again. Excellent. And uh, we're also joined uh, this week by a very special guest, Gillian Kowalczyk. Did close. I get that right? Right. It was so close. So close. So close. <laughs> CEO and founder of Safe in the City. You got that one. Thank yes. you. Hello <laughs> Thank you and for welcome. Um, as usual, we will be covering all of the latest tech news we found of interest this week. Um, please let us know how we're getting on using the hashtag Disruptive Live at Disruptive Live, or you can message us directly on our Facebook page. So, Matt. We've got a few items in the news this week. It has quite, been a busy week. Quite David. a lot's been going on, Gotta hasn't it? Said breaking news, though. Breaking news for all you ABBA fans out there. ABBA are back in the recording studio. Yay! No, really. <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs> we can expect new music from them within the year, apparently. So. Are they using any kind of new technology? I believe they are. <laughs> to get them to the studio. Yeah. <laughs> We're all looking forward to the music, David. <laughs> Motor transport is not an issue. Anyway, so other big news items, I think, this yeah, week? Yeah, not, not quite so uplifting, this no, one. No, unfortunately not, but so, definitely as impactful yes. as ABBA's mucus has been on multiple generations, I think. Yeah, and this is, this is the news that uh, Rick Dickinson, inventor of the ZX Spectrum and ZX81, has passed away this week after a long battle with cancer. So, yeah, and he was involved in all kinds of things, wasn't he? A huge, huge influence on multiple generations, certainly myself, ourselves, you know, introducing us not just to gaming, but to programming and the way that programming has influenced not just our yeah. generation, but the generations that have now followed and freely do it in terms of Raspberry Pis and development well, in that's schools, it. I mean, he, he's, a, he's a true British inventor icon, isn't he? It's, it's that guy tinkering away in the in the shed Up until and coming recently, with amazing make, inventions. Making the resurgence of the ZX80, 81 <laughs> and the Spectrums popular in terms of what we wanted, the renaissance of going back, of gaming, of using those basic programming techniques to really bring to life programming skills for all generations. Going right back to starting at two, three, four years of age. You can understand those principles. So a really great man and a great loss yeah, to us all. Yeah, very, very sad. I mean, you're, you're not actually English, are you, Gillian? No, I'm not. So have you, have you heard of Rick Dickinson? No, I, I've been filled in more or less to where I came. A crash, the a crash course. A crash course, in, uh, but of course, anything that technology brings to the masses, I think is so important to how we evolve and really make use of technology. So yeah. Yeah, and what, what, what do you feel about this uh, kind of inventor mentality? Just go and tinker, create, build. I mean, you're an entrepreneur, so exactly. from that side, creating something comes naturally. But uh, when it comes to technology, quite often people don't know what's happening inside these black boxes. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's kind of the beauty of technology is generally there is a bit of a documentation to follow, mm -hmm. which sometimes with inventors, especially kind of in history, it is a bit black box. Like, what were they thinking? How did they get to it? But definitely trial and error is involved and, you know, being able to learn and stack yourselves 
in advance is how we get to and the next level. And there's usually a mad scientist or crazy engineer somewhere behind it all. Absolutely. I mean, we look <laughs> at what Clive Sinclair followed up with, with the electric bike, and, and actually now the acceptance of that perhaps would be much higher um, in terms of us changing our, you know, our thoughts and our mm -hmm. you know, perception of electric vehicles per mm. se, and actually you know, carbon-free transportation. So, Yeah, and uh, I mean, it, it goes well back. He graduated from Newcastle uh, Polytechnic's Industrial Design Programme in 1979. So way to go, Polytechnics. Absolutely, and went straight into producing you know, this landmark computing device and was handing that knowledge and experience to the inventors today, you know, less than six months ago, mm -hmm. you know, in universities, helping people understand how he actually took that concept from the drawing board to the reality mm -hmm. in, in, in our homes and in our lives. So, yeah. fantastic. And he really brought it to the consumer with such a, a, a low price point. I mean, that was one of the, the biggest things about the ZX series, yeah. is they were, were the, some of the first computers to become available. Or computing devices. Well. Pounds. I know it was worth quite a lot more back then. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, when Relative certain devices in your pocket now cost a thousand pounds. Relative, yeah. 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 yeah we yeah. see where we are. So yeah, it was uh, computing to the masses. Yeah. There so we go. how about moving on to the next item? I'm I'm a bit sad. His, after all, we are uh, mourning his loss. So Absolutely. what have you got next for us? Well, Amazon is continually, I think, in our lives and, and grabbing headlines again this week. I think two things that really caught my eye. Uh, the first is the introduction of their use of uh, the Echo, uh, the Echo look mm. features and augmented reality in the way that they're taking their apparel ranges, their clothing ranges actually out to a much wider market to appealing to different people. but really helping people use the technology, not just in trialing uh, their clothing products and obviously minimizing their returns and using artificial intelligence to help people make better choices, but actually to virtually try clothing on. So selecting mm. that virtually and mm. using the technology. As an entrepreneur, do you find this use, this next step in technology we appear to be on the brink of now ex exciting? Yeah, absolutely. I think, at least in terms of the clothing <laughs> angle, I'm not sure. I think Canada has actually been uh, voted one of the worst dressed countries in the world. <laughs> we like our yoga pants and kind of a very relaxed feel. But um, definitely in terms of, you know, taking kind of everyday processes and, and being able to, you know, automate that or, you know, and add intelligence towards that to really help, you know, decision making or, you know, tailoring to measurements of different sizes mm -hmm. that, you know, otherwise we kind of have to fit into a mold which can have detrimental effects on our self-esteem or a number of different things. Um, yeah, it'd be very exciting to know what it would look like maybe if you moved into a completely different culture. When I lived in Japan, for example, like I had to get my head around the fashion trends of uh, <laughs> what it was like to dress and also wasn't, you know, maybe the right sizing. Um, so yeah, that would be a really interesting way to see how it advances in that respect. No, you don't want to see yourself done up as a Shibuya girl. Maybe <laughs> some, some white knee-high boots, all the makeup, Halloween, the it could be yeah. really helpful. <laughs> <laughs> Halloween every day sometimes yeah. over there. Couldn't agree more. So there are a couple of things that, I mean, I, I find interesting about this. Firstly, uh, what a great product for Amazon, considering they don't have walk-in stores. You know, you can buy products, but generally speaking, if you want to try them on, you have to go to different stores. So now they're essentially virtualizing the store even further so that you can try on 
clothes in your well, they know that that is living the, room that is one and of the principal reasons people are still going into stores isn't it yeah but but it's also but, driving this huge cost of actually packaging and distribution and mm -hmm. logistics and although those those industries are thriving they are growing they are you know, becoming more efficient is clearly the carbon footprint that that creates around it which is equally important but to is it is it leading to yet another incremental step in amazon's dominance of the retail market through their use of technology absolutely but there's the opportunity for retail organizations to use technology themselves and they operate a marketplace so you absolutely. know they are selling people's goods it's keeping uh, manufacturers busy designers busy it's getting products out there and it's not just amazon that sells on amazon it's absolutely. an entire marketplace yeah. of smaller um, uh, companies that are selling their their products and unique wares so yeah, that's interesting. There's the other side of it. Pretty cool tech. AI, augmented reality. This is um, so really quite interesting. I stuff. think we're really beginning to see the application of it actually have genuine tangible benefit to end users and being easy to consume, which is yeah. what this sort of complex technology should be. And uh, how long before uh, Alexa starts becoming your style guide? Oh, wow. Oh, yes. Yeah, saying, oh, you like that? You'll look great in this. Here, let me show you. It takes, it takes clueless uh, shopping to the next level, the wardrobe selection. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, spring tomorrow. Time to refresh your wardrobe. There we go. Well, it does, it does carefully word this around style check rather than style, style. assistance. Uh -huh. That is, yeah, I'm sure there's some... Uh, nuances in there to be careful of absolutely but uh, no that's a, it's a fascinating story and i mean i've heard that amazon's released its latest figures hasn't it absolutely which are quite <laughs> stunning yeah um 36 billion i believe world dominance Oof. well retail well there is alibaba still i think there will be competition well it's, it's gonna it's gonna come head to head at some point isn't it yeah they're on both sides of the globe and you can see them Sort of coming together. Do you think that's going to be a good thing for um, manufacturers and smaller retailers? I mean, there's going to be winners and losers, aren't there? There's going to be winners and losers. I think that we need to look very carefully at the support now for smaller retailers. You know, the the traditional style of retail model is being heavily challenged mm. here. You know, how do we help retailers? How do we respond and support retailers to mm. still deliver a, a, a local service, a more informed service about their buyers? Uh, I saw a, a number of smaller startups actually, very similar to yourselves, Gillian, who have actually taken the app and used that to drive the in-store experience. They know mm. all about the, their buyers, their families, you know, what they're looking for, and going back to the style assistant, they're providing a much more personal service. So, right. And they're thriving, you know, even as a small business. So there's definitely positives to take from this, to say how to use this technology to actually compete mm. with it and enrich the service even more. So. Mm -hmm. And we also want to preserve our high streets. No one wants to, to live in sort of a, a, a desolate wasteland, um, having little shops. And no, we don't, because that's really important for the community yeah. as well. Mm -hmm. Really yeah. important. Right. Yes, so, Gillian. Oh, we're on to Your now. turn. <laughs> yes. Thank you for giving us Absolutely. your views on yes. the first few news items. But now it's going to be all about you and Safe in the City. Yes. So for our audience, can you... Just tell us a little bit about yourself and about Safe in the City. Yeah, uh, so I'm Canadian and moved over to London about two years ago uh, to do my master's degree in public health. So 
that was, um, I guess, where I studied and I was doing work in HIV prevention and behavior change, but um, also found that, you know, in my personal life, I was using navigation tools. I'll put my hand up. I'm not good at navigating, although I've traveled quite a bit. Um, and quickly found out that the fastest route wasn't necessarily the safest. So would, you know, intrinsically kind of operate or maybe be an autopilot while doing a few other things and be in alleyways or dark parks. And also um, one particular night found myself um, guided down an alleyway where I was meeting a friend and some kitchen staff on break started to catcall and be quite offensive at what they were saying to me. And I felt threatened, but ignored them and kind of carried on. But when I got out of that situation and kind of unpacked it with my friend I was meeting, we noticed a lot of commonalities to our stories in that there was a certain kind of environment that made us feel even more vulnerable. And, you know, that there were there was a lack of lighting. There really wasn't an exit or entry point should things have escalated. And that likely wasn't the first time that had happened. So. Um, I was working at UCL at the time as a public health researcher and wanted to know what information was available, almost like city mapper, but for, you know, safety as kind of your first lens of how you travel. So the lighting, the open businesses at different hours, the um, crime that happens as a newcomer, I didn't kind of know where, where I was walking. And then, you know, a lot of the big p puzzle, I guess, missing piece is, um, you know, what's happening on a local level, what's not reported mm. to the police that also can really inform your walk. Right, and that was the inspiration behind setting up uh, your company. Yes. Now you have an app, don't you, that do. addresses most of these concerns. So um, tell me a little bit about the app and how you've gone about building it. Are you mm -hmm. a programmer yourself? I'm not, no. <laughs> As I mentioned, I'm more public health and I have a psychology degree, but I think that's the beauty of tech is really, uh, especially in the startup and lending um, startup community especially, that there's so much intersection of knowledge and expertise and really how technology can leverage that to produce something to solve social problems but also to be viable as a business itself. Mm -hmm. um, so Safe in the City um, works very similar to um, Google Maps or City Mapper. So it looks like a navigation tool, but you do have 999 that you can call at any point. Again, as a newcomer, I thought maybe it's 911 or you're in a moment that so you don't think. Um, so that can be kind of accessed at any point. Um, and then what's different between us is that now we have access to uh, police information based on historic kind of risks. So mm -hmm. as we all know, especially in London with you know the moped thefts being a big problem, you know, police are desperate to put up, you know, posters and remind people to be more mindful. But this is an on-the-go um, way to alert you. Mm. It vibrates your phone so you can actually, you know, take a moment and be like, wait, I should be a little bit more cautious because these are how they're targeting you. So if you have that advantage, you're less likely to be a victim. But then, of course, you have the lens of the crowdsourced information. And we did structure that around sexual harassment and that, that was my personal experience. But also with the Me Too and um, a lot of other women kind of seeking out safety apps, this is something that really can make you feel vulnerable. And taking that, you know, as an accountability stamp that now we can start to understand the data behind it to start making incremental changes in our communities. So 
Amazing. <laughs> how, how did you, I guess so many people would be interested, how did you take that idea and join it together, obviously with you know sensitive data with, with the communities, with the, the police, mm -hmm. to bring the app to fruition? I think it really, you know, stemmed on kind of what I could envision it, it to be and that, you know, um, I traveled quite extensively myself, um, um, especially in, um, I went to Brazil alone and often felt a lot of pressure too that, you know, from family or loved ones or even strangers, they're like, you shouldn't be here, you're a young woman and you should be afraid and, you know, you should take a cab and, you know, it was just a frustration but also something that we shouldn't have to adapt our behavior to be free to explore and travel and stay out at night with our friends or you know go into nightclubs and not feel that we're going to be under yeah. attack you know some sometimes so um, i think it stemmed from that and i think because of the timing there's a lot of people who are looking for things and you know technology i know we just we launched on international women's day you know marking some women's right to vote in the uk for 100 years you know, looking ahead at what technology could do to, to improve that. Um, and the exciting thing is just how, how many businesses are wanting to get involved because we can't just put the pressure on the government or, you know, the mayor or um, the police to really respond. It's us as a community, even if you're new, even if you're just passing through or if you've been there your whole life. This is something together that we have the insights to be able to prevent and, you know, change things. And, and, and is it, I guess, really easy to then say city by city, you take the same model, okay, the community groups might be slightly different, mm -hmm. but you can take this and expand this really quite quickly in terms yeah, of the message. exactly. So I think, again, this is, at, at least with the, the crowdsourced information from hashtag me too, this is really coming from all over the world mm. and um, it's something that we want to, you know, harness in London as a brand, as um, you know, a, a startup that can really move into a lot of different spaces. But leveraging the, you know, relationship we have with the police and with the mayor's office and with some of the businesses um, here, we can really quickly, you know, move to other areas, especially with the community behind us. So mm -hmm. we do want to take almost a, a, you know, a city mapper approach into different yeah. environments. Well, it sounds like you're capturing a huge amount of data. Mm -hmm. Almost this sounds like a big data uh, challenge, but being able to plug in all of these open data sets, because I know the police are making their data uh, available. Mm -hmm. How have you found sort of the challenge of firstly collecting all this data and then analyzing it and giving it back to uh, your users mm -hmm. in such a simple, consumable and um, wonderful format to keep them safe mm -hmm. and aware? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, right now we launched about six weeks six mm -hmm. weeks ago, um, and we've had you know massive traction. We're just on iOS. We'll be on Android at the end of um, well in early May, and um, with uh, the police specifically, you know, sharing that information that's really the tip of the iceberg of what they know is looking more at the trends than kind of individual mm -hmm. patterns. But then with businesses, you know, when they're identified maybe in a nightclub or as maybe a courier service, which we've found some patterns on our website and, and app, that it changes the conversation when you can present it with data. But we don't just have kind of the, the categories that you can report on. There's also a free form description so you can, 
you know, understand a bit of someone's story without, you know, it being in social media, you know, shared, but not in a tangible location that you can go and picture it because you're walking through or it's near your school or your workplace. So it really changes how we interact with that type of information. It raises awareness and education, but gives the opportunity for businesses and the community to know where there's maybe an ad inadequacy of lighting or um, you know, certain behaviors that are happening near construction sites. So we can keep a very data-driven focus. And of course, you know, for us to move forward, we have to present it in a really positive um, and powerful way. So it's almost it's almost uh, two direction that the, the data flows in both directions mm -hmm. so that if companies do sign up, I mean, is valuable information also going back to the police? Yes. So they can take this information that people put in. Is it anonymous or yes. right? Yeah. So that so people don't. Yeah, um, we're not Facebook. We're not taking everything about you. Um, it's a verification process just so we try to you know make sure there's no spammers um, on that uh, so it's just an email um, verification um, and then you know with that that it does go back to the police in an anonymized way so we're not sharing personal data more looking at trends and behaviors that can actually look to inform their deployment strategy and that is some of the information that we have on there based on historic crime where they know the hot spots and they're already sending people to that's also kind of one of the reassurances when people are using us um, instead of Google that you know that there should be probably a, a police officer nearby. Mm. Well, there have been a, a number of pilot schemes where police data on recorded crime and calls have been combined with predictive analytics to on the fly modify patrol, patrol routes, patrol mm -hmm. paths. And I think they had a significant increase in crime prevention and arrests. Yes because the police are where they need to be even mm -hmm. if they don't know they need to be there the exactly. uh, predictive analytics are starting to show quite a lot of um, power in that in that in their capabilities without, without a doubt so have you found um, that that information collates in the, in the time that you've had available quite quickly then that you can start to see those those particular hotspots emerge yeah I mean it's still quite early days and probably with my research hat on a very <laughs> you know hesitant to kind of put any definitive patterns behind this but we've noticed some trends um, in, in kind of times or reports or areas um, or again more qualitatively kind of different people or businesses have been um, coming up again but our I guess what we want to do with that is kind of you know as we were talking about Amazon is is to understand individual um, understandings of personal safety so should you call 99 a lot or should you look at where the safe sites are along your route or here or maybe duck in or take a cab like break kind of that walk we can start to understand these are the profiles of people who might be more risk averse or maybe new to the area versus maybe someone who's quite comfortable to walk always the fastest route through parks or whatever so then we can leverage that so when you go to travel or move to a new city or go to your Airbnb, this now becomes something that you are really actively you know, walking but based on where you feel safest. It's fascinating. I mean, I, I, my mind's kind of coming alive with sort of applications and ideas of things you can, you can do not only with the data but with, with the app. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, if, if, you're, if you're a pilot, you often file a flight plan 
if you go hiking in the mountains or in dangerous locations, you tell a friend when you should be back and to yeah. give them a call. I mean, if someone thinks they're going to be in a dodgy area or a neighborhood, is there a way that the app could potentially track them and then say, hey, you know, hasn't got home yet or, mm -hmm. or um, put out a, an alert in that way? Well, that's exactly our next uh, rollout oh. feature. So you're right on it, uh, right Fantastic. on target. You were reaching for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I, didn't, I didn't prep him. <laughs> <laughs> but exactly, you can track your uh, loved ones. You can elect to have someone uh, watch over your walk, and then we will have an you know, escalation sequence if we don't know where you are or you're not where you're supposed to be. But again, that's something, a reassurance of not just women. Like, you know, we are talking about sexual harassment and the crowdsourced information, mm. but that's really you know the timing and what we're after in my personal experience that really needs to be addressed so users want to keep coming back because they can see the changes that while they're walking and improvements and ultimately think about the younger kind of women or men coming through that won't have to live through that same kind of trajectory um, so that's what we're about i love it I love it. I'm and it's all ages, really, isn't yeah. it, as well? So any, anybody that feels vulnerable in any circumstances. Of course. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, as soon as it is available on Android, I'll definitely be downloading yes. it. Please download us so. on the iOS store and, and stay tuned for um, Yeah, I mean, Android. and it is available on the uh, iTunes store. You just search for Safe in the City yes. and the app's there, and it's easy to set up and log in and start using it. Great. Wonderful. Gillian, thank you so much. Now, stay with us for our last few news items. I very much so. Um, I mean, everyone who watches the show knows I love robots. I love robotics. I love robots. And our next item is the story about uh, Teledyne, who is buying Danish robotics uh, with MIR. Yeah, so um, this, this is a story mobile. that really captured my interest because this is a key manufacturer to warehousing robotics mm -hmm. and technology and these are the robots for the audience that actually do a lot of the picking so the digitization of picking these are hard-working hard-working robots that are performing great highly repetitive functions yeah. a lot of the time and therefore work 24 hours a day and in different shift patterns but are an incredible addition to the portfolio and clearly captured the imagination of Teledyne in both the price tag that's been paid for the company and the fact the company's quite young still. So going back to your own company, Gillian, I think what we're starting to see is you know, rapid growth of these ideas in robotics and we'll come on to talk about biosciences as well shortly in one mm -hmm. of the other areas. But these companies are advancing really quickly. They're certainly being assisted by larger organizations seeing the potential in the technology and snapping them up. And I think that we're going to see more and more of this, you know, so very much in the robotic space as well. Yeah, I mean, the, these are the type of um, robots that are really the unsung robots that are taking a lot of the burden in these big distribution centers uh, around logistics, um, pick and pack, uh, things like that. That um, well, I mean, the the internet age has brought about with online shopping, uh, and being able to get everything pretty much a day after you click your mouse. Now it's becoming hours even, with the the new Amazon Now services. And that introduces its own challenges, as we've started to see with you know particularly human resources being put into situations mm -hmm. which are high pressure, highly repetitive routine tasks, and therefore. Robotics actually yeah. may have a very good 
you know, response to this in the way that we standardize those tasks and we, you know, those tasks are perhaps better suited for robotics and challenging our perception of that. And there are a, a, a lot of massive technical challenges around the orchestration uh, and control of these robots. I mean, it's, it's not just robotics, it's also IoT um, and big data and systems uh, and network uh, issues and challenges that have to be addressed because I, I, I think I was speaking to somebody who worked in these uh, logistics um, environments with all these robots and saying you know 4G, 5G that we rely on for mobile phones is just completely insufficient with being able to handle the back and forth network traffic to orchestrate these robots uh, around the, the the warehouse. Mm. So, I mean, I mean, what what do you think about it? I know it's not perhaps <laughs> in your area, but uh, robots. There's always a lot of press about whether we're going to lose jobs mm. uh, to automation and to uh, robots in the future. But are these really jobs that you want people to have? Yeah, I I guess I'm more of an optimist. I really think that you know, if you remove people from those kind of more repetitive tasks, they have more opportunities to create. And I think that's kind of the creative boom in technology that we have. So, and with accessibility of mm -hmm. education on you know YouTube or you know Khan Institute, it's it's really trying to balance a lot of the inequalities that we have. So. Um, yeah, I'm pro kind of at least manual <laughs> robotics. Um, I think we face some challenging questions when we go into more um, human-led roles. But I mean, you must have found actually using the tracking technology and the geospatial data mm -hmm. uh, quite a challenge in what you're doing. Certainly each city, you know, is, is different in terms of collating that information. Here, mm -hmm. we're not far away from having, you know, true tracking services where we can see our delivery item all the way mm -hmm. through the the supply chain yeah you know, and, and tracing it almost to to our delivery point there mm -hmm. do you feel that that technology is is maturing really quickly is available to you all you've obviously been able to directly access with your application yes yeah and we've been really lucky that um, ordnance surveys geovation um, program has been able to help us with the development so um, they're very much at the forefront of kind of building. They were one of the first or the first kind of um, mapping and institutions in, in the UK. So um, I think it is advancing um, and you know we do have a lot further to go. Um, one of the other partners we'll be looking working with shortly is What Three Words, which is a universal addressing system. It's uh, mm. three meter by three meter grids and just three words, but every language in the world that really has an accuracy. It's almost you know like a package itself that they know exactly where you are when you're able to I enter in that information. And for at least logistics um, and delivery service, I know that that's a big one. But in terms of kind of the humanitarian side and aid, I think that's also re something really exciting that we can learn from that data and be able to you know implement it with uh, robotics is something mm -hmm. that we'd even get more accuracy behind. So I, to the audience, what three words might be new, but it's definitely something I think that is going to be a game changer in changing international addressing and, and how we look geospatial mm -hmm. data up. The other thing that caught my eye this week was the use of the IFTTT of the... Now you're going to need to explain uh, that one. I'm going to need to explain it. So yeah. this is the if this, then that approach. So this is basically 
communication between devices. How I live devices. my life. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to follow suit. But this is a 2010 invention that's rapidly accelerating. And I think the, the what three words is, is around about the same sort of time frame as yeah. well in terms of the technology. So IBM using Watson, other vendors publishing standards mm -hmm. to use this to issue commands between devices to share data, mm -hmm. to share data securely, I hasten to add. But a completely new framework by which devices can communicate interactively with one another, issue the commands, and obviously follow on a sequence of events. So, I think one to watch, you know, from a, a technology value chain point of view. And the the thing I I like uh, about logic statements like this is that you can also work them out. Yeah. They 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 speak a common language with us. Mm -hmm. not just with other devices. So if you want to get into programming or creating these little applets, um, such as the, the IBM's uh, If This Then That um, technology that they've put online, then it's, it's, it's a great way to sort of get into smart systems, uh, get under the cover of programming, get working with these uh, connected devices, yeah. uh, and come up with wonderful ideas and solutions to problems yourself. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think this could be extremely powerful. So the idea, I believe, is that they have some virtual technology assistant that can actually bridge across mm -hmm. all these technologies. So the if then acts as a translator. Yeah, almost, absolutely. Yeah. If then, then they're issuing those conditional commands mm -hmm. to do other things that other technologies will understand. You know, in conditional formats, it just creates a sea of opportunities for us all. Yes. In terms of how, but as you say, it's all logic going right back to Rick. Dickinson and his views on creating the spectrum and the, and the basic mm -hmm. programming language as it was, mm -hmm. you know, those are the principles. You've got those applets now, now you can get, you know, those yeah. commands. I'm, I'm, I'm already planning my first one. <laughs> if I turn up at the front door, you unlock, the fridge opens, cold beer. Nice. Friday night. Yeah, that's that. The robotics there as well. So the oh, oh yeah, well, someone's got you know, some robot's got to open that beer for me. I'm not doing that. Then it can come over and deliver it to the sofa. Well, <laughs> what I know, what in terms of small business, that's been something really helpful to be able to, you know, with time and, and resources being very limited, these types of programs are just so essential to automate and be able to, mm. you know, move to the pace that we need to get to. So. Yeah, so it's certainly definitely one to watch. So I like that. Excellent. So here's another one I saw this week. If we move on to biotech, because yes, I think yes. this is a really, really exciting area. So this is a company called Mammoth uh, Biometrics, and they've produced, like has been before, but they've produced a kit that sells for home users to plug into their smartphone to do a variety of diagnostics mm. with in terms of medical conditions, yeah. et cetera. I think it's a really exciting area. I think actually using phones, not just for personal safety, but for mm -hmm. actually medical mm -hmm. support, medical diagnosis for people that can't travel, you know, where we want to reduce pressure on, on health services for centralization of those. We want to push it out to the communities mm -hmm. in controlled environments, clearly, but is a really powerful step forward for us using these sorts of approaches with these kits. So we've got some standards. Yeah, now we, we, we've covered a lot of health tech uh, devices on this show and, and concepts. And we always come back to the fact that um, you know, frontline 
health services in this country or any country Absolutely. Uh, are often overwhelmed mm. uh, or under-resourced. And anything that kind of um, pushes that triage process down the line, because also GPs essentially these days are often acting as a, a frontline triage service. Mm -hmm. um, do you go to A&E? Do you then get a referral to see a specialist? And for people to be able to actually do that at home, equip the doctor with the initial information mm -hmm. they need, it short circuits that whole uh, primary care path so that people can see the right person or get diagnosed correctly, mm -hmm. quickly, which often leads to more successful treatment plans. Without doubt. But yeah. like your app's doing, the smartphone's becoming the pivot mm. of all of these well, advances. I mean, you think about the sensing technology we've got in them, the computing technology we've got in them, the communications technology we've got in them, and they weigh 60, 70, 100 grams maximum. Yeah. It's like it's it's just incredible having been around sort of uh, at the turn of the millennium Absolutely. and just seeing the advancements that have happened in the last ten years. I mean, Steve Jobs kind of popularized it when he came out with a useful smartphone. I must add, I do remember like the Windows-powered phones and the Scions <laughs> and the Newtons, uh, which offered all of those capabilities in kind of a palm size, even palm. Uh, computing. <laughs> what happened to them? Uh, glorified address books, really. But um, now it, it's just quite amazing what they can be used for. And the Absolutely. creativity that you mentioned yeah. of people being able to think, well, hang on, I've got all of this, all of these capabilities I yeah. can tap into. How can I use it in new and um, powerful ways? Yeah, um, absolutely. So, yeah. And I think in, in terms of the, the biotech um, aspect, it, you know, just like our app aims to do, it's, it's trying to prevent something, you know, on a very taxed either policing or, or healthcare that it is, you want to prevent it getting to be a victim or to be, you know, in that disease like category now. So I think these medtech, you know, devices um, are just exactly what we need to be able to look and educate and, you know, prevent essentially, especially with a lot of these, I think we were mentioning before, mm -hmm. more kind of non-communicable diseases. So something that does take time and there's so many ways that you can course correct from there. So hopefully it would drastically start reducing Oh, we've seen this. that with, with all of the emphasis on obviously sugar consumption mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. obviously diabetes and that becoming much more prevalent and the pressures that that's gonna put on health services. So actually having the capability to provide structured, trusted testing. Mm -hmm. And again, we come back to how do we pr protect our personal data that's mm -hmm. being shared? Where is it going to? So standards need to evolve quickly in that respect as well. But can we get more information and education so people can track and take it more proactive mm -hmm. you know, steps towards protecting their health? And I mean, we've, we've spoken about the hardware technology involved here, probably because we I'm usually involved with the Absolutely. hardware side of things, but the um, biotech aspects is something we've also come across a lot on this show and reported on uh, called CRISPR, which is a way of being able to identify specific sections within DNA and cut them or isolate them. Um, and I think this technology is able to do that and then compare it uh, against sequences of genes that are indicative or um, are essentially part of a disease um, and that's how it actually identifies it which is massively wow. clever technology yeah. it's talked about a lot in bioengineering because it allows us to manipulate genes manipulate mm -hmm. DNA 
um, and create hybrids or even the wonderful word mutants. Mm. You know, mice <laughs> that glow up, things like that. Less of those unless they're in a Marvel film. Oh, come on, <laughs> robots and mutants, you've got to let me have it this week, man. You had to get into the Avengers, didn't <laughs> I you? I had to get there somewhere. <laughs> 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 Ka-ching! <laughs> Great. Well, I mean, it, it, it's impressive. So there are a lot of ethical concerns uh, around this. Absolutely. But um, I always like lively debates and think it should be something that's talked about mm -hmm. when when you create technologies that are so immensely powerful mm -hmm. um, that there is a discussion and there are ethics uh, that should be addressed. And, and, and after the last them. few weeks, we absolutely need to address those ethics. So people can trust the platforms, the apps, and what is, you know, what is happening to their data. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the, the scientists that are working in these space, Very I mean, we, we, we have lived with genetic modification for quite a while. Uh, it does have a place, I believe, but it is controversial. Uh, I'm sure you guys out there have a viewpoint yeah. on all of these things. So please do let us know. Use the hashtag Disruptive Live at Disruptive Live or message us on our Facebook page. Now, we've covered quite a lot of ground. It's Gillian, yeah. thank you so much for joining yeah, us today. Thank you. And yeah. uh, love the app. So don't forget, it's Safe and the City. Uh, download it from the uh, Apple store and very shortly the android store android, hopefully yes. google play and the android store Absolutely. very soon um thank you for watching uh really enjoyed the show and uh matt thank you uh, for co-hosting thank you very much come back again, again. I, I like do. having a co-host it's do. great <laughs> so i've been david organ uh, this has been disruptive and uh, we'll see you again next week thank you